Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. All right, something's got to change. We've been at this for a few weeks now. First of all, let's just encourage our praise band. God bless you guys. Thank you for leading us. Awesome, awesome. God bless you all. We've been in this series for a few weeks now where we're, we're letting God out of the box. You remember what we said, that, that oftentimes we, we squish God into boxes of our own construct. Now, here's the deal. We keep talking about it. I even named the series, Let God Out of the Box. God can't be put in a box no matter what I'm about to say for the next 30 minutes. God cannot be put in a box. In fact, if he could, by very definition, he wouldn't be God, right? There's no way we can squish the God of the universe into a box. But that doesn't stop us from trying, does it? We've constructed boxes some of it based on our past, our, our own history with God or with church. Some of it is based on our present, how we've seen God working around us in our family or in our church family. Some of it is based on our own fears, our own anxieties, even our own control issues. And so we, we construct boxes, not too unlike these, sometimes big, sometimes small. And then we spend our lives trying to squish God into that box, and that doesn't work. So this morning, we're going to talk about a new box, the box of letting God out of the box of financial dependence. Now, here's the deal. We're not talking about our dependence on God. We're talking about God's dependence on me. I mean, what is this about God and my money, God and my possessions? Every time I open the Bible, it seems like God's talking about something I have and he wants. Every time I go to church, that's all they talk about is money, money, money. In fact, I think that's all the church wants from me is my money. If not my money, then my, 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 my work and my serving and my time. What is it? Is God running out of money? Is he strapped for cash and he needs me to bail him out? Is God not able to pay his bills? If God is such a big dreamer and he's got such big plans, well, he better make sure he's got the funds for it before he starts a job and not come to me to help finish the job. Is that what some of us think? Is that what's going on in the Bible? Is that the box that some of us have created for God? Here's the problem with God and our money, God and our possessions, the whole, the whole, the whole theme of generosity. Somehow, not only in the world, but even in our church world, in our church family, we have somehow confused and intermingled the idea of biblical generosity, living like a generous God, and somehow combined that with some kind of need we think God has that we can fulfill we with our time, our effort, our, our skills, our serving, or even our own bank accounts. And, and if God wants us to be generous, it's really because it's a thinly veiled attempt to stick his sticky fingers into our back pockets. And that is not true. God doesn't have any needs. And yet he talks about it over and over again. In the Bible, you will find over 2,000 verses where God talks about either your money or your possessions over 2,000 times. That's a lot. How about other topics that are maybe more important, closer to our hearts? Topics like love. How many times does God talk about love in the Bible? You add them all up, it's only about 350. Seven times more often God is talking about your money and your possessions than he's talking about love. God is love. 
You would think that would be topic number one. What is God's problem with money? Hmm. Hmm. Maybe he's not the problem with money. Maybe it is our problem. God does not need our money. God does not want our money. God does not have a shortcoming that we can somehow fulfill. So why is he interested? Because he knows that generosity is a key not only to to funding special projects that God has started and now he needs our help to complete. No, generosity is very much about our part, uh, about our lives. We get the benefit out of living generosity. This benefit is for us. What would happen, church family, what would happen if we as a church family decided that we are going to not only live, but continue to live generously, not just generously like the world describes it, but generously like the Bible describes it, what would that look like? And if we were to do that, 2023 was the year of living generously, what would that change here among us, here in our relationship, here in our interior ministries? What would that change in the city of Cape Coral and the state of Florida, southwest Florida, if a church of a few hundred folks said, we are going to live biblically, generously, as God does. What would that change? Well, as always, we're going to dig into a story where we see that beautifully portrayed, what a generous life looks like. But before we do that, we have the kiddos here, so we thought we'd do something fun for them. Oftentimes, they'll use a teaching video in their belong group in their Sunday school time, so we're going to do the same thing. Kids, I think you're going to enjoy this. It's only a few minutes long, but here's the deal, kids. I think your mommies and daddies, your grandmas and grandpas, they're going to learn something, too, about what biblical generosity looks like. Let's take a peek. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive, and there's lots of people, decorations, food, and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need, 
all they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. Generosity is built on a different story. The generosity we read about, the generosity we experience in the world, the generosity that maybe we were raised with is not necessarily the generosity we see in the Bible. And folks, if we're not getting it, if you haven't gotten it yet, if you haven't lived this out in your life, you're a good company. We've heard about the people of God up to this point not living it out, and yet God never gives up. God continues to give an op- another opportunity. He gives a gift, the gift of his own son. He generously gives the very best that he has. For you and for me, can we not learn to live out that same kind of biblical generosity in our families, in our city, in our time today? I believe the answer is yes. So if you're with me, let's dig into a Bible story that demonstrates beautifully what a life lived generously looks like and see what we can pull out for ourselves. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to the book of Matthew chapter 21. If you have your phone, you can hit the QR code and pull up the sermon notes, take notes, or you just follow along on the screen behind me because first of all, we need to understand that generosity, it begins at home. Let me read this whole story about a guy we don't talk about often. In fact, we're heading up to the Easter season. In that season, we might talk about this guy again, but let's talk about a guy we don't normally talk about. Matthew chapter 21. Let me start in verse 1, read a few verses, and we're going to dig in, okay? Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt, with her. Untie them both. Bring them both to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. The disciples went, and just as Jesus had instructed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Jump down to verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, was shaken, And asked, who is this Jesus? That's the story. This is the guy's life we're going to dig into. We're going to discover what living generously like this guy with the two donkeys did right. And understand what that means for us today. He brought his donkey. He had a big donkey and he had a little donkey. Two donkeys. That's what he had. Jesus sent word, listen guy, I'm going to need not one. 
I'm going to need both. I'm going to need the big donkey and the little donkey. Only Matthew, actually, by the way, if you've ever read a bunch of uh, uh, Easter stories, this is the only gospel that talks about the two donkeys. All the other ones only mention the one donkey, the, the colt donkey, the one out of scripture, out of prophecy. But Matthew, remember, he was a tax collector. He was a money guy. He was a treasurer guy. He knew details, and he wrote down every detail. It doesn't mean it was right or wrong or better or less good. It means there were two donkeys, and both of them is what Jesus needed, and both of them is what this guy gives. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter whether it was two donkeys. It's, it's not our job to decide whether Jesus needs one donkey or he needs two donkeys. Come on, Jesus. Can't you just take the little one and leave me the big one? Or just take the big one and at least leave me the little one. It's stronger. Anyways, just, just why do you need both? Well, folks, here's the deal. This is why this begins at home. Mommies and daddies, grandmas and grandpas. We need to help our kids understand what Jesus is saying. It's not our job to decide what Jesus really needs and what he doesn't really need. Deciding if we're going to get behind a project that God has or the church has or the, the pastor is throwing out there. It's not on us. If God calls us to give, we are to give. In our culture today, if we're not 100% behind a project, we'll, we'll, we'll defund it. We'll, we'll defund a church, we'll, we'll defund a missionary, we'll defund a, a ministry, we'll defund the, well, uh, don't want to get political, but we'll, anything that we're not in agreement with, we'll defund because well, I'm not behind that, so in, re, in, in, in retaliation, I will withhold my support of that thing. What are we modeling for our kids in relationship with God? God called us to be all in. God called us to live open-fisted. Now, I'm not saying to be foolish and, and throw good money after bad. Of course, investigate and pray. And as the Spirit leads, do what I'm, you're, you're called to do. But God is calling us to live open-fistedly. And the, God, Jesus says something else here. He says, if someone says something. Here's the deal, folks. There's always someone, and they're always saying something. There's always some guy, there's always some girl, there's always some opinion, and they've got plenty of them. And they love to share their opinion with you, why you should or shouldn't. Jesus, do you really need both donkeys? One would be more than enough. We've got to take care of the other one. We've got to feed the other one. It's going to be a lot of extra work for us. Just take the one. It'll be fine. If we need the other, we'll send for it later. All the opinions were flying. You, you can't support that church. You can't support that ministry. You, you still have student loans to pay off. You can't adopt that child through a Compassion International for 35 bucks a month. You're still taking care of your own kids at home. There are all kinds of someones. There are all kinds of opinions, and they're all saying something. Jesus said, go and ask. Tell them the Lord needs it. One time we were... Uh, had gotten a bag of jelly beans for our kids. On the mission field, jelly beans were a really big deal. They didn't have jelly beans in the country where we lived, and our kids loved jelly beans. We gave the jelly beans to one of our daughters. I will not name this daughter, but one of the three, and she was to hold the jelly beans and share the jelly beans with her sisters. This was a big deal. They hadn't seen jelly beans in months, and it, it would be months more before another family member or, or mission team was to come visit us with possibly more jelly beans or certainly peanut butter. Those two were the biggies. So, so she was to divide them up. We went away. We came back a few minutes later, and there is this daughter dividing them up, pulling out all of the black licorice jelly beans into a big pile right in front of her. Baby, what are you doing, we said. Well, I'm pulling out the ones I'm going to share. Why are you sharing the black licorice? No one likes the black licorice. I don't like the black licorice. I'm sharing the black licorice. I said only grandpa likes black licorice. 
Grandpa's not here. Actually, now Grandpa's in heaven, and as we all know, there's no black licorice in heaven, so poor Grandpa. <laughs> I said, baby, that's, that's not right. You don't pick out what you don't want and share that. You pick out the best and share. We ask you to share. Sharing and generosity begins at home. God is calling us to live open-fisted life. It's like the, like the, the, the Dr. Seuss uh, book that turned into a movie, uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. You remember what his problem was, why he stole all of the toys? Kids, you remember what, what the book says? Because his heart was too small, right? Exactly. But you know what happened on Christmas Eve when suddenly he decided to give all the gifts back to Whoville. What did the story say? And on that day, his heart grew three sizes. Our heart grows as we give. There's no other time when we more uh, resemble our giving and generous God than when we are giving generously. God has called us that. Folks, contentment does not come from having all that you want. Contentment comes from wanting all that you already have. God is calling us to live that way ourselves, but also model that for our kids our grandkids, even our spiritual kids and grandkids here in the church family. You remember last week and even the week before, we, we kind of mentioned that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Remember how, how it went? He, well, there were 5,000 men, and then you add on their wives and then all the kids. We're talking probably 20,000 folks. What did Jesus need to feed 20,000 folks? You remember what the, the gift was, the offering was? Two fish and five loaves of bread. And with those two fish and five loaves of bread, Jesus multiplied it, did a miracle, and fed 20,000 folks with, what, 12 baskets left over. Here's a question. How many could Jesus have fed if that little kid had maybe nibbled on his lunch on the way to the big show, and there was actually only one fish left and three loaves? How many would Jesus have been able to feed with that? Same. I'm with you. I mean, you could have showed up with a crumb and a fish scale, and Jesus would have fed the 20,000. There is no correlation between the size of your gift, what you bring to God, and what he is able to do with that gift. God is calling us to live open-fisted, whether you have five fish, two fish, one fish. God is calling us to give that. And then secondly, God is calling, saying to us that generosity opens the doors for Jesus. Our generosity, you have the power in your hands, in your pockets, in your abilities and giftings to open doors of ministry for Jesus. Jesus was heading to Jerusalem to do what only Jesus could do. That wasn't on you, that wasn't on me, that wasn't on the disciples. What Jesus was about, this was the big trip. The big opening, Jesus going to Jerusalem and all the big stuff that he'd been talking about for three years was about to happen. That was all Jesus and all God. But God allowed us, guys like this donkey owner guy, to be involved and permit him, allow him, kind of allow him to ride on top of our generosity. This was a fulfillment of scripture. This is a powerful entrance into a prominent city, and it all happened because this guy said yes. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, this was a guy with a donkey or two. That's it. The Bible doesn't say he was a donkey farmer. The Bible doesn't say he had a whole stable full of donkeys. The Bible doesn't say he had a whole field. I actually learned a new word. Do you know what a herd of donkeys is called? A drove. A drove. This guy didn't have a drove. See, now you can say you learned something at church today. He didn't even have a drove of donkeys. He had a mommy donkey and a baby donkey. Here's the deal. 
Jesus wants to ride into Cape Coral. Jesus wants to ride into your house. Jesus wants to ride into the house of your neighbor. Jesus wants to continue riding through this church. Jesus wants to enter and do what only Jesus can do, not what you can do, not what I can do, what only Jesus can do. He wants to ride in on our generosity. What are you willing to do to allow God to do that? You might not, you might not have a Mercedes. You might not have a, a Maserati, but I bet you got a donkey or two. God is calling us to give what we are able to give. Generosity, like in this story, our generosity, it actually writes us into the story of God. God is at this very, well, not even at this moment, before time began, he was writing the story of Cape Coral. Before time began, he was writing the story of your family. Before time began, he was writing the story of this church. Your generosity allows you to be written into that story and used powerfully by God to do things that only God can do, things that you and I are not called to do, but God is able to do those things through our generosity. And the, and the contrary is also true. Our tight-fistedness, our unwillingness to live generously will write us out of God's story and God's mission. Matthew 6, Jesus said something famous that we quote and often, I believe, misquote quite often. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You remember that, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We all know it. Sure, pastor, I got it. The problem is, too often we say it, at least in our minds, if not out loud, backwards. We don't say where your treasure is, there your heart is. We say where your heart is, your treasure will follow. And that's what allows guys like me or nonprofits or TV preachers or other folks on television to start pulling at your heartstrings. If I can win your heart, I can win your pocketbook. If I pull the heartstrings, one day I will pull the purse strings, we say, because this, after all, isn't that what God said? Where your heart is, there your treasure will go also. No, that's not at all what the Bible says. It says just the opposite. Where your treasure is, your heart will already be there. Here's the deal. We must stop. We must, tonight, if you're a couple, if you're a family, if you're a single, whatever, Find some time tonight when it's quiet. Turn off the TV. Turn off the social media. Get alone and start asking God, where am I heavily invested? Where is my treasure? Where, where have I placed worth and value and importance? What is my precious? Because where that is, I promise you, because it's in God's word, your heart is already there. This thing is, is kind of like one of those cool little apple tags that we stick on our bags so they don't get lost somewhere when we go on vacation because once i find your treasure and where you are heavily invested i am very sure i will find your heart very close folks here's the deal we will never ever ever be able to divest the opposite of invest we will never be able to divest our hearts from these kind of treasures, uh, uh, our, our homes, our, our, our hobbies, our, our activities, our, our, our beauty, whatever, whatever, whatever treasure you may have, we will never be able to divest our hearts from those treasures until Jesus himself is our treasure. Until that day happens, our heart will always go with the treasures that we can possess and drool over, guard over, worry about but if we can divest from that and let Jesus be our treasure, that is the only way to do it. This whole riding into the 
riding into the city on the back of a donkey that's also convoluted. Jesus, why'd you have to make it so complicated and difficult? It would have been so much easier just ride in on a horse. Horses were everywhere. Why a donkey? Well, you might remember. It comes right out of Scripture. It was prophesied. In fact, in the book of Zechariah, 500 years before this, this happened 2,000 years ago. So 2,500 years ago, God is speaking a word out into the world saying, and on that day, my son, the Messiah, will enter Jerusalem to bring freedom and, and, and peace and restore the relationship between a lost world and their creator, God, and he will ride in on a donkey. 500 years the world waited for a response. 500 years the world waited for someone to step up, and this guy was the guy. I wonder what word the the Lord has spoken over your family. I wonder what word the Lord has spoken over the city. I wonder what word the Lord has spoken over Southwest Florida already with the intention that one of you, 10 of you, 200 of you will respond in open-handed generosity. You are the promise that God made before time began. Will you open your fist? Thirdly, generosity, generosity will shake up the city. Generosity will stir the, in fact, that's what the Bible says here in verse 10. Let me read verse 10. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this Jesus? Stirred means agitated, it means shaken, it means quake, it means rocked very heavily back and forth. What it means is this, something that normally doesn't move is now moving almost violently. Let me say that one more time. When it says that the city was stirred, God specifically used this word because it means something that normally doesn't move is now shaking violently. There are all kinds of things in this city that have never moved. Opinions, ideas, thoughts, plans, prejudices, they have never moved and they never will move until there's an entrance of Jesus into the city to move those. And when he comes, he will shake things violently. This church family is what we are after, not because of anything you or I could do. We're, 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 we are we're servants in God's hands, but because of what Jesus does when he enters a city, he shakes things up we're already on the way to that. I've asked my, uh, my pastors and staff to, to feed me some of these, these details, some of the exciting things that are already happening, some of the stirrings that we are already seeing here in our church and even in our city. Let me just read some of these quickly. These, these, these are not just numbers. These are people. But let me, let me share some of this with you just to encourage you. Just in the last three months, God has brought 31 new members. Right now at our time, we have 18 Bible studies, belong groups, we call them, happening on Sundays and, and all through the week. 80% of our folks that normally attend a service are involved in some kind of weekly Bible study where they go deeper in God's word. 50%, 50% more people attend worship on a weekend in this January 2023 that attended worship here in January 22. God is continuing to bring more people. This year, we, uh, we took our, our annual uh, offering for Lottie Moon, who was the first missionary from our, from our mission organization, lived 150 years ago, named after her our Lottie Moon Christmas missions offering 
$18,000 was given towards that. We were able to free every penny of that up and send it to the mission board, 18000 This year, like every year up, as long as we have been doing ministry together, we, we not only hit our annual church budget, if you're in the numbers, whatever, we surpassed it by $25,000. God continues and continues and continues to grow. This, this service, this room is so full, we're stealing chairs from the Belong Group rooms that on February 12th, we will begin a second service. Now, we say second service. If you're a Saturday night guy or gal, you'll know this is actually our third service. We have services already on Saturday nights. We do them outside. I invite any of you to join us. A lot of fun. Miss Joy makes excellent snacks, but that's, that's an insider tip. But we'll have the 9.30 service in a couple weeks, and then beginning on the 12th, we'll have an 11 a.m. service. That not only allows us to have more room here, but even more room for belong groups. Our, our, our small group Bible says God is moving. God is opening doors. God is entering our city. God is stirring things up. And this is fueled, I believe, in great part by your generosity, and that is why I'm calling us to be even more generous. If God, if God wanted to, to, to cancel our debt, he could say, boom, it's canceled. If God wanted to, to plant a new campus in northwest Cape Coral, he could say, campus, be there, boom, and it would be there. But he chooses to do that through you and me and our generosity. He never demanded of this guy, give me those donkeys. I made them. I gave them to you first. Now I want them back. Jesus never says that. He says the Lord needs them. And this guy was so moved because he was already living open-fisted. His immediate response, the Bible says, was here. Take it, Lord. I know you need it. So what is our next step? As we close our time together, where do we go with, if this is a kind of generous lifestyle we want to emulate, if we want to be like this no-named Never, we, in, until you get to heaven, you're not going to find out what this guy's name was. This no-name donkey owner. How can we live like this guy, our hero, today? We need to understand that this church and this, this movement that God's doing right now, it is fill, fueled by the Holy Spirit and by the generosity of the folks that are involved. We are giving away our time. We are giving away our service. We are giving away our resources. We are giving away our calendars. We are giving away our finances, all so that God can move powerfully in our city. The Bible, in the book of John, John Jesus says that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce more fruit. Here's the deal. Without first planting... There will be no harvest. We want the harvest. Lord, bring the harvest. Lord, allow us to see folks coming to you and lives changed, families put back together, churches planted. We want that harvest, but there can be no harvest unless that seed is put in the ground, planted, and it dies. We must first die. We must live open-fisted. God is not strapped for cash. God doesn't need your help. But what if? What if God is a God who chooses to move powerfully and, and passionately, bringing his presence and his will to our city in the same manner, in the same measurement as we allow God to have that which he's given us in our generosity. There's two things I want to share with you in closing, the two steps I need you to take. I, I, I pray all of us would take right out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're leaving the story. Now we're jumping into the theology. The apostle Paul is so good to give us this theology. He gives it first to the church in Corinth, and now he gives it to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says this. 
Each of you should give, number one, what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Number two, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me unpack those two steps, and then the homework is yours. Number one, God wants us to be a cheerful giver. Now, you, you've heard that before, be a cheerful giver, a, a happy giver. What, what does that mean? Are we to, to start collecting the offering down front, and we're supposed to kind of dance our way? So, some of you may have attended churches like that. They actually have kind of a dancing music time where you dance happily, cheerfully forward to give your offering. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what God's talking about. In fact, that word cheerful is actually the Greek word for hilarious. Well, that's even worse, Pastor. What in the world does that mean? Be a hilarious giver. Here's the deal. You, you, know, you know dads and their dad jokes. You, you hear a dad joke and, you know, we chuckle, mostly out of sympathy, and, <laughs> but we chuckle. That's not, that's not hilarious. I mean, I mean, you hear a hilarious joke from, from, from the golf clap all the way to falling out, head back, drooling, tears down your eyes, slapping your knees. That is hilarious. It is uninhibited. It is, it is unrestrained, uh, no limits on. You are letting yourself go. The difference between, the difference between uh, a high school team uh, winning a game and the Miami Dolphins winning the Super Bowl, I mean, it's exponentially greater kind of a, a miracle slash awesome, exciting thing. This is what God's calling us. There are no man-made limits, in, uh, inhibitors, or restraints on our giving. We remove all of this. Say, God, I, I know logic logic states that I should only give this much, or, or my, my background states I should only give this much, or my, my finances say I should only give this much, or my calendar says I only have margin for this much. Those are restraints that God is saying, release yourself from. See what I will do with a wide open hand, a wide open calendar, a wide open pocketbook. The miracles will not end, not because of you or me, but because of God. And what he does with two fish and five loaves. And then secondly, he says, what you have decided in your heart, what you have decided, that word is, a, again, a Greek word, uh, proario, it, it means this, to, uh, to, to take something that is the first or the best. And that, that doesn't mean, okay, you got 10 choices, you got 10 possibilities. Well, l- let, me just, let me just pick one because it's most convenient, most practical for me. No, it means you have 10 good options and you study you look, you judge, the Bible word is, you judge over these 10 good options and you choose the best option. And the best option that you just chose, that is not what you keep. Like my daughter and the jelly beans. The best option is that which you give away. This is what God is calling us to do, to decide, to go in by ourselves, with your spouse, with your family, by yourself, and pray, God, what is it? Look at my finances, look at my life. Look at my calendar. Look at my gifting. What is it that you want me to give away? Don't say, okay, what's left over at the end of the month? What's left over at the end of the week? And then give that. God is saying, look at all that you have. Choose the very best thing. And that best thing is what you give. Let me give you a very practical example as we're finishing up here with this. So often we hear folks say, well, I'd love to, Pastor, but I just don't have, I don't have any more time single mommy, single daddies, uh, working three jobs, uh, uh, older, caring for uh, an aging parent, an aging spouse. There's all kind of reasons why our calendars are full. I just don't have time right now, Pastor. Or, or Pastor, I, I, I just don't have the resources. I, I, I've got a $1,000 coming in each month, but $1,200 worth of expense. I just don't have money. Here's, here's what I would challenge you with. 
Let's say you've done this whole process, you've prayed. God said, I, I'm asking you to give $100 a month, just for an example. This church or the ministry that you choose to support with that $100, I'm pretty sure it's not going to rise or fall on your 100 bucks. That's not why I'm saying this, because we or, or whatever ministry you're supporting needs your 100 bucks. That's not the point. The point is God told you to give 100 bucks. If God told you to give 100 bucks and you're faithful to give what he told you to give, I am convinced, because I've read Malachi chapter 3, that when we give what he told us, he would open the storehouses, and you will have the time, you will have the energy, you will have the margin in your calendar, you will have the funds in your bank account. I am sure of that, not because of what I know, but because of what the Bible tells me. Some of you might remember Sunday dinners at Grandma's house. My grandma was named Nana. Whatever bird she was making for our Sunday dinners, she always had a favorite piece. She loved the neck. Whether it was a chicken or a turkey, Nana loved the neck. Now, I thought that was strange, but as a kid, most things that old people do are strange, so I didn't think too much about it. But it wasn't until my grandma passed away and went to be with Jesus, my mom told me, no, no, no. Grandma, Nana, she didn't love the neck. She loved her family. Grandpa John, Captain John, her husband, he got the best piece. Then her kids, they got the pieces they wanted. Then all us grandkids, we got the pieces that we wanted. Nana chose the very best thing, the very best piece, and that best piece, that's what she gave away. How can we be any different in the family of God? God is not a God that needs your leftovers. God's not short on cash. You ain't going to bring them to the end of the month. God is calling you to give your best because of what it does in your heart, not in his bank account. Are you with me? Father God, I pray that you would continue to use us powerfully in the city. Allow us to fall into line with your picture of biblical generosity, not because of any needs or shortfall on your end, but because of what it does in our hearts. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.